All right. Well, welcome back to Keith Heights Baptist Church this afternoon, and you got to love Missouri weather. About uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes ago, it was snowing, and now it's 50 degrees and almost sunshiny outside. <laughs> so, uh, had a unique day today, but uh, we've enjoyed the opportunity to meet together uh, by way of live stream, and looking forward to time together. We'll be rather brief this afternoon. And um, uh, not going to go through all the announcements again because we've made those twice already today. And uh, we'll uh, forego our singing this afternoon. And uh, we'll do Acts chapter number 17, if you will. Acts chapter number 17. <clears throat> and uh, we spent some time in the 11 o'clock hour dealing with and, and talking a little bit about um, the sensitive condition that our world is in and uh, the fact that... Uh, Certainly, uh, we have a very corrupt culture, and uh, so in th keeping with what we've been trying to do in the afternoons on Sundays, by giving some practical helps and some biblical things that can help us with some things, we want to. I want to try to approach the topic of how do we deal with the corrupt culture? Uh, what is the Christian's response to that? How do we? Uh, what are what are our responsibilities? Are there some biblical responsibilities that we have? Uh, what are some of the things that we can do? Um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so we're going to look at some things here from Acts chapter number 17, and we're going to use uh, uh, the example of the Apostle Paul, uh, certainly understood and knew during his time and his day and age uh, the corruptness of cultures and was uh, spent much of his ministry trying to bring correction to the churches and trying to keep the world out of the churches. And so we're going to look at some things that... Uh, uh, are, are an illustration to us and can be an example to us of how we ought to deal with uh, the corruptness of culture and society as a whole. We're going to begin reading in verse number 16. We'll read one verse and have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our lesson this afternoon. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Father, we pray that you'll bless the service this afternoon. Bless it and use it for your purposes in our lives. Help us to learn from it the wisdom uh, that comes from its pages. And Lord, we need to be instructed. Uh, we're living in some very perilous times and times that we've never had to face before. I know down through history many others of Christians have had to face similar times. But Father, this, these are times that we've never had to go through before and we're uh, needing your wisdom and your guidance to t teach us and to instruct us uh, what we are supposed to be doing in this time. I pray that you'll uh, open your word to us, help us to understand it, and uh, that your Holy Spirit will have free reign and free course in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter number 5, we find uh, God giving, Jesus giving uh, what we call, refer to as the similitudes, and they are they're the idea that uh, Christians are to be light uh, in darkness, we're to be salt to this world, and that we are to be a city uh, that is set on a hill. And the truth of the matter is, in recent years, in fact, in the last probably 50 to 75 years, we've seen a fairly steady decline of Christianity as a whole uh, following its responsibility to be salt and light, uh, to be an example to this world, to be uh, a cleansing effect, to be a purifying effect. <clears throat> on society. I believe that some of that as a whole has been because uh, Satan has enticed a lot of Christians to <coughs> excuse me, follow 
after worldly flesh and worldly delights and uh, the fact that the Bible teaches we're not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world, has become a verse of Scripture that many Christians never reflect on, they never think about, and a lot of churches never do. They, they push that kind of to the back burner. And they want to focus on things that make people feel good. And while I, I certainly am not out to try to make people not feel good, because uh, the Bible does have a lot of good things to say, uh, the sad fact of the matter is we have also neglected and shunned our responsibility uh, to the cause of Christ by being um, an example to the believers, by being an example to this world, and by teaching and preaching the truths of God's Word um, regardless of the response to it. Uh, we have tailored our preaching, it seems like, many times, and we have cut out certain things of Scripture. We don't, we don't teach on or preach on certain things of Scripture because we're afraid they're going to be offensive. And the truth is, the world needs to hear the whole counsel of God. They need to know all of it. And um, we're not out to be mean-spirited. We're not out to cause people to be offended just for the sake of being offended. But uh, there certainly needs to be a resurgence in our churches and among God's people of uh, holding to and holding forth the principles of God's Word. So uh, let's take a look in Acts chapter number 17. We read just one verse of Scripture that kind of gives us a sense or an idea of the culture that Paul is going to be addressing here. As the Bible says that in this particular case, while he was at Athens, that the whole the city was wholly given to idolatry. Now, uh, we can probably relate a little bit to that today. Uh, not so much that everybody has a little idol in their home, some physical idol. But the truth is, we live in a society and culture today where materialism is our idol. And wealth and prosperity is our idol. And we become preoccupied and we put all of our efforts, all of our attention into gaining things and material things. And our society as a whole takes that as the thing that detracts them from the things of the Lord and causes them to, to uh, have something that takes the place of God. So what was it that Paul did as we look at this, as he approached this city? How did he go about doing it? Um, I, I'm uh, careful to say this. Um, I don't know that we've done a real good job of it in recent years. Uh, so some churches have said, you know what, the best way to approach it is to ignore it. Just don't even talk about it. Uh, some people say the best way to approach society is to bring them in the front door of our church and let them become part of us. And we'll join in with them. And maybe by relating with them, uh, we, can, we can reach some of them. Uh, others have said, you know what, uh, the best way to deal with it is just to um, uh, profess uh, how, uh, how they're going to be condemned and how God is going to judge them for all of this. And all of those things, certainly to some level, uh, come to bear, but I don't know that any uh, one of them are of a biblical nature. Um, I don't think that God ever intended for us to mix the world and the church together. I don't believe that God ever intended for the church to come out with a battle axe swinging at the world and just chopping everybody in the world's heads off that don't see things the right way either. But somewhere in that middle ground is, is where we need to be. So let's look at Paul's, uh, let, let's look at Paul's response to this world. And we're going to look at, I'm going to give you three things this morning, uh, this afternoon, that uh, hopefully we can help uh, use to engage and to deal with uh, the corrupt society, the corrupt world that we live in. In verse number 16, the Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred within him. 
Uh, I think this, this is an amazing thing. It's one of the things that we so often miss when it comes to uh, dealing with the world or dealing with uh, lost people. Uh, many times we get in our mindset that uh, they're too bad or they're too evil. We don't have anything to do with them. Or we get to the mindset of um, uh, they don't deserve uh, uh, this because they're living their life in, in uh, uh, rebellion. So they don't deserve the grace of God or the love of God. And we wouldn't say it that way. But in practice, we do that many times. And one thing that happened to the Apostle Paul is, as he saw this city that was wholly given to idolatry, the Bible says that his spirit was stirred within him. It, it, it got him stirred up about it. It gave him a burden, if you will. It gave him a compassion. It gave him a, a, a zeal to reach these people. He looked at them, and rather than saying with criticism, boy, these people are terrible and they're not right, and uh, it's a really wicked situation, he said, I want to do something about it. And I think for far too long we have become, as Christians, very critical of the world, uh, and rightfully so, but we've done not very much to reach the world. Uh, we've not been stirred with the purpose and with the fervency to go out and try to reach this world with the gospel. If somebody's lost, if somebody is out here living in the world and not doing the things that they should be, my desire ought to be to try to help them. Uh, not to not to shun them, not to push them away, not to say, hey, you're not doing what you should be, so you just get out of my way while I do what I should do. We need to have a burden for them, and we need to have a, a desire for them to reach them and to help them and to try to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in Romans chapter number 12, Paul said this in verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he goes on in verse number 2 to say, And be not conformed to this world. Hold on to that word. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the problem that we face in our society and in Christianity as a whole in dealing with the corrupt culture. Is we so often look at God's word and we see the things that we ought to be doing. We see the things that we ought not to be doing. And we as Christians go about trying to conform the lost to fit a mold. We try to Christianize the outside of them. We try to get them to live a certain way, to act a certain way. And the truth is, the heart is never changed. The only thing that can bring true transformation to a Christian or to a lost person is to become a Christian, to trust the Lord with all of their heart and to put their faith in Him because God is the only one that can bring about a transforming work from the inside out. And so we don't want to be guilty of this. And a lot of our churches, if we're not careful, will be busy trying to conform people rather than preaching the Bible and allowing God's Word to transform that person. So one thing I think that we need to do is get a renewed vision for this corrupt society. Um, they are the they are certainly the Bible teaches they are at enmity with God. But do you know we are to have compassion on them and try to reach them with the gospel? Doesn't mean we condone what they do. It doesn't mean we come alongside and say, "Boy, let me do be part of you to do it." But we need to have a renewed burden. For those that are not what they should be. We need to have a renewed... Because the truth is, I am thankful somebody, when I was lost, had a burden for me. I'm thankful somebody came out and reached out and tried to share the gospel with me. I'm thankful somebody prayed for me. If that had not happened, I wonder oftentimes where I would be. I grew up in a pastor's home, but I'll tell you that is no guarantee of salvation. I, I lived there 13 years and was lost. And if there had not been a man that was concerned for me, that had prayed for me, that had come after and talked with me, then I don't know where I would be. 
there, there is, for some reason, we get in our hearts and in our minds almost with an arrogance or a pride that I am, I am all this spiritually, and, and these folks down here in this corrupt culture, they're not there, and so we feel like there can never be any kind of connection or talking with these people. And I tell you this, there needs to be a stirring of our hearts again. It's amazing that even when Christ was in His earthly ministry, as He looked out over the lost sheep of Israel, His heart was stirred for them. The Apostle Paul so much so said, I wish that I could be accursed for my brethren. When was the last time that we said if it would be possible for this country to trust Christ as their Savior, I'd be willing to be accursed for it? That's the kind of burden Paul had for them. That's the kind of stirring that was in his soul. The idea that, that there was, there was a, a compassion, a burden, a, a conviction to reach them and to do something about the corruptness of this society that was, the Bible said, referred to here as holy, given to idolatry. So how do we approach a, a, a corrupt culture? I think that we need to pray for God to stir our hearts. I think we need to get out of the spirit of apathy that we so long uh, have, have lived in in our churches. We're comfortable. We come to our church. We fellowship with our friends. We sit in the pews. We bring our Bibles. We dress a certain way. We act a certain way. We, we associate with different people that are like faith and like mind. And that seems to be our whole world. When there's a corrupt culture out there that needs to be reached. And I'm supposed to be the salt for them. And I'm supposed to be the light for them. So we need to have a stirred heart. We need to be burdened once again. We need to ask God. If, and, and by the way, if we, can, if we can look at this world and not be burdened for it, we need to ask God to break our hearts again. There's something wrong there if we're not able to do that. All right, so with a stirred heart. Number two, we find in verse number 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met with them. Number two, we need to engage them where they're at. We need to engage them where they're at. Paul goes to the synagogues and he disputes with them there. And then he goes out into the marketplace and he disputes with them there. You say, Brother Greg, where, where should I go to dispute with them? Everywhere. And I'm not talking about getting into the argument with them, but in proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not going to see things the way we are, but we are still to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're still to go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. We're still to go out and everywhere we have opportunity, try to share the gospel with someone. And so he goes out to the synagogues and he, he disputes with the, uh, the Jews. He goes uh, with the devout persons. He goes to the market daily with them that met with him. Uh, then in verse number 18 it says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others said, uh, Some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. There needs to be, after the stirring, an engagement. It's not enough for us to sit in our churches weeping and praying and brokenhearted for the lost. At some point we've got to go out of the building and we've got to engage them and try to win them to Christ. At some point, there's got to be some effort put forth to reaching out to them and teaching them what the Bible has to say about their lost condition. I, I'm thankful for churches that have prayer meetings, and I love having prayer meetings. I'm thankful for tears that are shed. I'm thankful for broken hearts for the lost. But if that's all the further that it goes, then we're failing. We're not reaching the lost culture. The corrupt culture of the day that Paul was dealing with he was stirred up within him. And then the Bible says in verses 17 and 18 
that he engaged them where they were at. He went to where they were. He went to their synagogues. He went to their marketplaces. He went and found the philosophers and the, and the, and the Epicureans and the Stoics, the men that were of renown and the men that, were, uh, that had a position in the community. He found them. And when he found them, he preached Jesus Christ to them. And by the way, we're not called to debate. We're called to declare. I don't want to sit here and spend hours upon hours upon hours in a debate over whether evolution and creation is true or not. I want to declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that I can give an account if someone asks, but I'm not going to sit there and waste a lot of time debating the issue when there are much more needful things to be done. We find that we are to engage them. And then thirdly, this is the third thing we ought to do in a corrupt society. Look with me in verse number, we'll read on down verse number 19. And they took him, brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know thereof what, things, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent in uh, there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That was their desire. They they would sit and talk and philosophize, and the idea they wanted to learn something new all the time. They were hungering and thirsting for knowledge. And uh, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, "Ye men of Athens, I pursue perceive that in all things you are too superstitious." For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now understand, this, whole, this city is wholly given to idolatry, and they had gods for everything. Uh, they had, this was a Greek city, and they had uh, a very polytheistic society. And, I mean, they had gods for everything. Everything you could think about, they made a god for it. Unless they forgot a god, they erected a god that was the god of the unknown gods. In other words, if there was anything we missed, we're going to have a God for that too. Well, when Paul saw it, he said, Aha! He said, I've got a way to connect to them. He said, This God that you have, the one that you look and say to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. Can I tell you this? We need to find areas of commonality that we can break the ice and begin discussing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with people. I was, um, I was in a, a, a college years ago, and it was a, a college that put a, a strong emphasis on uh, winning people to Christ, and they had one-minute plans of salvation. I mean, you, could, you had to be able to give it in one minute. You had a five-minute plan in case you had a little longer time. And you had to practice these things. You had to know them. And I don't know how many people... Uh, over the years that uh, heard and listened to those presentations, bowed their head and prayed a prayer that lifted their heads lost. And uh, I hate to say that during that time period of my life, there were times that I led people to the Lord or thought I had that, to be honest with you, I think today are still lost. Several years ago, uh, in dealing with this at uh, another church I was pastoring, and I had talked and talked with some of our staff men, <clears throat> I said, folks, we need to invest in people. The truth is, we get so busy with 
ministry that we try to rush our service for God. And, we're, we're, and we do it, and we, we, we have a good reason for it. We're busy. You know, we're busy. We've got a lot to do. And it struck me, I, I was watching a fellow one day in, in, a, in a large Bible conference, and uh, he had been a staff member at a church for a number of years and then had finally taken a pastorate uh, out of state or out of, out of town. And at this Bible conference, they called on him to pray. And he came to the pulpit and uh, prayed for the offering. And as he was walking back to his seat up in the balcony, he walked past a few people that greeted him. And I was sitting there watching as he walked back up to the top of the balcony. And he walked about three or four strides past the people that had greeted him. And he had just kind of waved at him as he went by. And he stopped. He turned around. He walked back over to them. And he stood there for what seemed like the whole offering time talking with them. I knew this fellow. I knew how busy he was. He's a well-known, well-sought-after preacher around the country. He has a, a lot on his plate. He's a very busy man. And I looked at that, and I learned something from that, and that is we need to always take time for people. So we began to teach our staff that in, in Florida, and uh, we uh, would go out soul winning, knocking on doors. And so I began to teach our staff. I said, fellas, here's what I want you to do. I said, when you go up to a door, very first time you've ever come there, very first time you've ever knocked on the door. I said, people are so uh, misunderstanding what we're there for. Most people that come to their door want something from them. I said, we need to be offering what we can do for them. And so we began to approach the door knocking a lot different than we used to. And I would have our staff men introduce themselves and where they were from. And say, our pastor just wanted us to come by and see if there's anything that you need that we can help you with. What a difference. We went from people who would say, I'm not interested, to people who would sit there and for the next half hour share their burdens. And it would open up a door for us to say, there's a way that you can have those burdens met. I remember a young man by the name of Bo. I wish I could remember his last name. I don't I apologize, but Brother Wendell Reynolds, a good friend of mine, staff man, and I went visiting. Went by Bo's house, and he was sitting on the porch with his girlfriend. And Bo was talking on the cell phone. And I was trying to talk to him and ask him if there was a way we could help. And the, the girlfriend seemed more interested than Bo did. It seemed like Bo was kind of trying to ignore us and act busy. And uh, so we stood for a few moments and talked, and they shared some needs. And I said, is there something we can be praying with you about? And they shared some needs in the, the family there, and I prayed with them. And I, I shared, I was able, the, the, the young lady, the girlfriend that was there, was open to a presentation of the gospel. I shared the gospel with her. We got to the end of the presentation, and uh, I said, have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Has there been a time and a place where you've trusted Him as your Savior? And she said, yes, I did do that as a little girl. And uh, so I talked with her for a few more moments and gave her assurance of her salvation, made sure she understood that she only needs to put her faith in the Lord one time, and having done that, that she can trust that, that God will keep His promise. And she assured me that she had done it sincerely and had put her trust and her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thanked her, and I walked on and didn't think much about it. I was really kind of discouraged because Bo had been on the phone the whole time. 
A few weeks later, we came back and we were visiting the same house, same street, and I came back to that same house. And this time, Bo was in the driveway and he was on the cell phone. I walked about halfway up the, the driveway and stood waiting a distance away to give him privacy to finish up his phone call. And he knew I was there. He had seen me. And he was on the call for probably a good two or three minutes. And I told Brother Wendell, I said, let's go on down the road and we'll stop back by here on the way back. I said, and so I motioned to Bo that we were going to go on down the road. And I said, I'll, I'll be back and we're going to go on down the road here. And all of a sudden, Bo said, uh, hey, buddy, i got to go. And he hung up the phone. He said, wait, wait, wait. He said, I need to ask you a question. I said, sure, and I walked up to him. He said, how do you know if you're saved or not? Bo had had a lot of people come to his house. Bo had had a lot of people try to gimmick him into some kind of attending their church and giving tithes and offerings to their church or whatever he perceived them trying to be after. But when you start caring for people, you finding a way that you can reach them. It may take two or three or four visits sometimes. But can I tell you this? People need to know how much you care. And in order for them to know how much you care, you've got to care. <laughs> you've got to be burdened for them before they ever want to know what you have to say. And I was able to stand there that afternoon and lead that boy to the Lord and trusted Christ as a Savior. I don't know, maybe Bo would have gotten saved the first week if I had approached it differently. But I will say this, that you're not going to always win them the first time you meet them. It may take two or three or four visits. But folks, they can tell, as you and I can tell, we can tell when somebody truly, genuinely cares. When they truly, genuinely are burdened for you. So I want to encourage you, when it comes to this corrupt culture... There needs to be a burden there. We need to preach the message of the gospel. We need to preach the Bible to them. They need to understand that. They need to understand the, the salvation message clearly. And we need to find ways to, to engage them, commonality, things that we can do. There was a lady that we visited on that same street. The first time I ever met her, uh, and I apologize, it's been so long, I can't remember her name, her first name now, and I apologize for that. But the first time I ever met her, uh, she opened the door and she just barely cracked it. All the window blinds were drawn. It was dark in the house. Stuck her head out and she's like, what do you want? And I was like, I told her I was the pastor at the church. And she said, oh, I go to whatever church. I said, well, that's fine. I said, I just wanted to know if there was anything you needed. And she looked at me kind of stunned by that. Like, well, no, I don't think I do. She had a bunch of dogs. Brother Harold, you'd have liked this. She had a bunch of dogs. Not all German Shepherds, but she did have one. And uh, they were trying to poke their head around the door, and she was trying to keep them back. She had probably six or seven dogs in the house, a bunch of them. And I said, man, what beautiful dogs. And I started talking to her about her dogs. And, man, she lit up. She started smiling. I bet for the next half hour we talked about her dogs. She opened the door. She ended up coming out and sitting on the porch with me. You know, a couple weeks later, I was able to sit there on her front porch. She looked forward to us coming on Saturday afternoons, and I was able to lead her to the Lord. But, you know, she was so skittish the first time I ever met her because so many people had come and knocked on her door. Can I tell you that there are times that people need to just know somebody cares. We're not after something. We're not trying to, to, to 
produce something, get the highest number of sales when it comes to soul winning. That's not about that. This is the eternity of a person's soul. I know people that try to keep score. They try to get as many people saved, and it's all about a number. Can I tell you this? Our world needs to find some people that aren't cared about the numbers. They're caring about them. And uh, I want to encourage you in this, how we deal with the corrupt culture. We need to be stirred up about it. We need to be able to engage them where they're at. We need to find areas of commonality that we can go into. We can reach them with the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word, how it gives us illustration, how it teaches and guides us and instructs us. We're thankful for the example of the Apostle Paul, the only man in Scripture that you gave permission under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. Lord, may we learn from Paul's example. I pray that you'll bless the time that we have spent here together around your word. Be an encouragement to those that are in their homes by way of live streaming and encourage them throughout this day. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.